by next Sunday, we will have been a scattered congregation on Sundays for six months. And we might all be feeling just a bit tired of it by now, mightn't we? So I wonder how the believers feel in the passage we've had today. In Acts, three chapters earlier, we can read that there was a scattering out from Jerusalem after the stoning of Stephen. And you'll remember that there was a young Saul at that event holding the coats. Here we are, when we pick up the story, we see what they're doing, those that had scattered. And time has passed, not six months, not six years, but probably more than 10 since they were in the holy city with the apostles. More than 10 years before Barnabas goes and brings Saul, now Paul, to the congregation that are scattered and starts to bring teaching. That's a long time, isn't it? And they didn't have telephones and they didn't have Facebook or Zoom to connect with those that they were used to meeting with and reading the scriptures with and singing praise together. Uh, but they didn't particularly need that technology that they simply got on with being who they are, the church. The idea of them being scattered to flee persecution might a few chapters earlier made us think that as a dispersed people, they would be living in fear, uh, simply putting their head down, even that they had abandoned their faith. But certainly that's not the truth, is it? That's not what we're hearing here. Yes, they maybe struggled a little, and, and maybe that's why Barnabas goes off to bring that apostle to the congregation and to teach them for a year. But they were, even before he comes, still spreading the word. In some places, uh, this was only uh, among the Jewish community, but in other places, uh, and here we're thinking particularly of the church in Antioch. They were shaving the word among the Greeks. They were speaking of the Lord Jesus. That Luke uses that phrase is really interesting here. The Lord he isn't saying Jesus the Christ, but the Lord Jesus. Both of these, of course, refer to one and the same person. And in our minds, they might be mutually interchangeable. We, we quite often use them that way. We, we just say one of the words that we're used to calling Jesus. But they do have distinctly different meanings. And to the listener of the first century, they would convey a different message. What, we, what they heard might be different from what we hear. You might call me Keith. Uh, an important letter might come to me that calls me Reverend Morrison. My children call me Dad. And my sister habitually starts emails to me with the words, Yo, bro, with an exclamation after each. All are kind of right in some way. 
but each conveys something different about the relationship that we have. To a Jew, the message of a Christ or Messiah is important. The name means anointed one. And so it conveys something about the fact that as a people, they had spent hundreds of years awaiting his arrival. The promised one, the anointed one, the one that the prophets had spoken of. The one who would lead them to freedom. And in a few months time, when we come to the season of Advent, we return to that anticipation and that thinking of not only the birth of the Christ, the birth of Jesus, but we think too of Christ's second coming and are waiting in that regard, how we need him to come into this world of brokenness and of pain, this world that um, struggles in so many different ways. But to a Greek context, where there is maybe not the same history, that same understanding of waiting for one that prophets spoke of, uh, the word curious, Lord, has a different meaning, uh, a different message, one that's common also to the Jews. Uh, but what is it? What does that word mean? What do we hear? What do we understand? This week, I was reading on the Premier of Christianity website of how today in many stories, the title Lord is actually a negative persona, a negative character. The Harry Potter person, Lord Voldemort, is the, the main villain. In Star Wars, Lord Darth Vader. Not to mention on the news, drugs lords, war lords, various other characters given the term Lord in a negative ruling sort of way. I I guess the, that maybe that kind of switch maybe has something to do with the post-World War II reflection on, on Lord Ho-Ho. But this newer context means translations valid 600 years ago uh, might, might have a different uh, thing that we hear. In the first century, what was heard was something more akin um, to the the head of the household was the Lord. It was the one that looked after the family, that fought their case, that was the advocate, that defended them if there was a, a court issue, that really took care of all in their spread. And uh, if you look up a dictionary, the, you might find the etymology of the word Lord in English gives a similar story, a similar character. It's a clan chieftain who provides food, most notably sort of the daily bread. A positive figure rather than the landed gentry who expects the, the, the forelock to be tugged by their oppressed tenant farmers. The true Lord is one we treat with respect, not simply because of their rank or privilege, 
but because of how they care for us, because we are part of their family and they provide and they defend and they love. Our Lord is also our brother. And yet he took the role of the lowest servant. He wrapped the towel around his waist and he washed the disciples' feet before that same evening being arrested. And then the next day convicted and then executed on the cross, thereby offering us a path to redemption from our sin. So he gives us that example of servanthood that we can't come near. As the story of the Lord Jesus Christ was told in Antioch, people turned to Jesus. And while the Holy Spirit can prepare hearts for this to happen, it does require the telling of the story in our community, in our scattered nature, we each need to be the tellers of that story. But telling the story is not simply speaking it. It has to be in our living. And this is what we see at the end of the passage. When the believers understand that there is going to be a famine, they give to the church in Judea. This is not retrospective action. It's not that it has already happened. It's not that there has been a famine and then they respond. No, they have heard prophecy and so they choose to give and see things happen before the damage is done. They think ahead. The believer who has heard of love lives with love. And so to prevent any impact to their brothers and sisters in the church, they give generously to prevent harm. It is in such a community that the numbers grow. The Lord's hand is with them because they truly are his people in word and in deed. If people hear us tell a story of God's compassion for the wider world and yet see us not living with that in our heart, then do they believe our words? In our language concerning refugees, in our understanding of racism and prejudice, in our attitude to the environment, in how we ensure we are not responsible for the spread of coronavirus by limiting our physical interactions, by wearing masks in public, by keeping a respectful distance apart, we show love. Or instead, if we rather, we can let people know the gospel has made no impact on us. But that has its own consequences, doesn't it? As Jesus tells us in Matthew 7, not all who call out Lord, Lord will be saved. It is the person who is the convert 
the true convert, like these people in Antioch. If we are not living with his love in our heart, then who would believe that we are like those who are the first to be called Christians, the followers of the way, who understand that the way is of love. May you hear the word, may you live the word, and so may many others hear and live as we grow. Amen.